Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We have been looking at Jonah, grace in hard places. I hope you've had a read through that. There's only four short chapters there, and I'd encourage you again, not now, but when you get home, read through Jonah and um, just again see what God's doing here. But as we set the scene here for this last chapter, what do you do if someone is sulking? Some of your parents are thinking, oh, I know exactly what to do when they're sulking. How do you approach them when you want to help them get out of the inward-focused, self-pitying mood? They're sulking. You know that what it's like, that person who sits in the corner of the room or maybe just finds a quiet spot on their own and they become a sad sack because things just didn't go the way they wanted it to go for them. So what do they do? They drop the lip. Maybe they get angry. Maybe they go quiet. They feel hard done by. They're sullen and they're sulking. That's how we're going to find Jonah today, as God shows generous compassion and mercy towards the people of Nineveh. Jonah is sulking. He's on a pity party trip, he's angry and he's ticked off. Let's have a look at chapter 4. Well, we're going to go back to verse 10 in chapter 3, then read through chapter 4. When God saw what they did, that is the people of Nineveh, and they repented. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Father, thank you. Thank you for this uh, glorious true account, this glorious true story of Jonah and Nineveh. 
Father, thank you for what you're showing us, even through this chapter and through the whole book. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, please come and reveal that to our hearts, that we would be filled with compassion and mercy, just like you are filled with compassion and mercy. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a powerful chapter, hey? What a riveting read to actually just read through this sort of dialogue here happening between Jonah and God. What do you get there of Jonah? He's this picture of this sullen, angry little Jonah having a pity party all about him, don't you? That's what you see there in this last chapter. And at the same time, you get this view of God overflowing in compassion and mercy, patiently awakening Jonah to his own self-centred worldview to now turn and see who God truly is. That's the comparison you get here working through this chapter. It's an amazing little dialogue here between God and Jonah. Important to see here, we live in a world that is hopelessly fractured and broken when it comes to compassion and love for one another. It's broken in every way, whether it's large-scale war like Russia and Ukraine where there's no compassion, there's no love between those countries, or it filters right down to just relational tension breakdown where there's no compassion and there's no mercy and people are just at each other. It's a world that's broken in that sense, desperately needing compassion and mercy. And yet within all of us there is this deep desire to long for compassion and even perhaps to give compassion at times, but still we haven't got the strength to actually let that happen. But there's a desire there. Here's where we're heading today, then, as we think about this chapter. Because God is gracious and overflowing with compassion and mercy towards us, we too should genuinely show that same mercy and compassion to all people. Because God showed it us, it should flow out of us now to show that to all people. Let's pick up the story again. Uh, It's mainly centred around God and his purposes here for both Jonah and Nineveh. Uh, Jonah's been a self-centred proud rebel. Uh, Right from the start, the evilness of Nineveh rose up before the Lord. Uh, The Lord told Jonah, you need to go to Jonah and you need to call out against this evil and call out judgment upon them because of all their evil actions. Jonah refused to do that. Knowing who God is, he refused to obey and submit to the Lord's commands and call upon his life. And he went in the opposite direction. He fled to Tarshish in a ship. Jonah finds himself in the belly of a whale. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, and you'll see why he got in the belly of a whale. He spends three days and three nights in there, and he comes to this realisation in chapter 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. He spends three days and three nights to work that out. Jonah then is called by God, now go back to Nineveh and call out against them what I've asked you to do. So now this time he does go, and Jonah gives that eight-word sentence, eight-word sermon sorry, that we spoke about last week. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was Jonah's sermon last week. In a sovereign move of God, uh, Nineveh believes the Lord. Nineveh believes that message and they turn their hearts, they turn their minds back towards the Lord and ask and beg for his mercy. God relents of his judgment upon Nineveh that he had planned for them and they now know and experience God's great compassion and his mercy upon them. Echoing that verse in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, we move into chapter 4, and you would think, you would think, after Jonah's God moment in the whale, and his salvation from the whale, his renewed obedience to the Lord, you would think 
that Jonah would be glad for others to know God in this way. You would think that's what how he'd be. Wouldn't Jonah want to rejoice in God's saving purposes now being worked out and seeing citywide revival take place here in Nineveh? Like now there's 120,000 people. They know the Lord. They know the same God of Jonah. You'd think, Jonah, be glad and rejoice in this. No. Jonah doesn't be glad and doesn't rejoice. Verse 1 we saw before, he's furious. He's ticked off. He's actually boiling over here with anger. And somehow in this anger, he prays, and as it were, he he vents himself before the Lord. In verse 2, have a look in verse 2. Paraphrasing here. When you told me to go to Nineveh and preach judgment, I knew what you would do, God. I knew what you were going to do if I did that. You would save them. You're a God of mercy and compassion and grace and all those things. You, you know, probably told people, you know, guys, if I go to Nineveh and give this judgment, I know what God's going to do. He's going to rescue them and he's going to save them. So that's why I bolted in the opposite direction. Back in verse 2 again. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's who you are, God. I know that. But he's venting that, as it were, before the Lord. Now, you might stop here and say, Jonah, what happened to that God moment you had in the belly of a whale just a few weeks ago? What, what actually happened to that moment? Didn't you learn something there, Jonah? It probably appears Jonah complied with the law, but probably with a half-hearted commitment. He wasn't all in. He was just sort of partially in at that stage. Jonah goes on in verse 3, he says, I can't stand what you've done, God. It's so bad what you've done in rescuing and saving these Ninevites. I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. To think that you would save these people makes me not want to live any longer. Jonah's sulking, complaining, whinging. Our gracious God, full of compassion, asks Jonah this probing question in verse 4 when he's in this sulking mood. He says this, have a look in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, just stop. Stop and think about your reactions here. Don't react out of your emotions, Jonah. Sit back and analyse your attitude. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Don't just spill over out of the emotions of your life. Should you be angry about me reaching out and saving Nineveh? Didn't I just save you a few weeks ago from that watery grave? Are they in some way less deserving than you, Jonah? Do you do, be, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And as we see the narrative there, Jonah doesn't stop to give an answer. He just leaves that scene seething, seething. Verse 5, he leaves the city in disgust. He finds a position where he can view the city. Maybe he's gone up a, a bit of a high point somewhere. Builds himself this little shelter. Keeps his eyes peeled on Nineveh to see what will happen to that city, to see what will become of it. Really, what's he hoping? Jonah's hoping this, that God will change his mind and then come back and, as it were, smash the city. Now, let's get a picture. It's probably like this. 
long as I don't break the microphone thing, he's probably sitting there like this, you know, just looking out across the city. Just got his eyes peeled on the city. You know what he's thinking? Smash it. Smash it. Smash it. Smash it. And he sees a puff of dust come out of one of the streets and maybe it's starting. No, it's just a horse and cart going down the street. Smash it. That's all he can think about. Smash it. It's the Middle East. It's summer. Temperatures over there are sweltering in the Middle East. So he looks after himself and he makes this makeshift shelter. And who knows how long he's going to stay there. Maybe 40 days to see whether the Lord will do it in the 40-day mark. Anyway, he builds a shelter. And look what God does here in verse 6. God, in more compassion towards Jonah, appoints a plant, a leafy vine of some type, to envelop the shelter that made it a really top-notch, five-star shelter. Because well, he probably just grabbed a few loose branches and threw them out, and there's probably a few gaps. So God comes along in compassion and grows this vine up to actually just fill up all the gaps and give him complete shade and complete shelter. Now, mind you, it reads like here, this vine grew and filled the canopy in a day. Sort of jack-in-the-beanstalk stuff, like that's what God does. He can just make it just, just like that. God sovereignly directs a plant to spring out of the ground and to grow at enormous speed to cover this shelter. God controls the plant life of this world. God grows this plant so that Jonah won't be discomforted by the heat. Does Jonah deserve that? No, no, God does it. God isn't going to waste this opportunity of Jonah. He's going, to get, he's going to do something here to hopefully awaken Jonah and teach Jonah about who God is. Let's keep reading. In the last part of verse 6, Jonah, what do we see there? He's happy. He's exceedingly glad about this vine. He's gone from angry and now he's happy. He's exceedingly glad. I oh, thank you, God, for this vine. You, Lord, you've met my need. You've come along and you've filled the gap here. Thank you for this fine. Looks like nothing's happened, perhaps overnight at Nineveh. He's been watching it all day. So Jonah spends the night there in this booth in this shelter. But overnight in verse 7, God's done something else. God now appoints a worm to eat away at that vine. And the vine is now shriveling up and dying. It's probably gone straight for the stem or straight for the stalk. And it's beginning to die. And in verse 8, the sun rises in the morning as the worm's been eating through that vine overnight. And now God appoints a scorching hot wind to intensify that Middle Eastern summer. It's not only sweltering there, it's unbearably sweltering with sickening heat. Now I just want to stop here for just a little moment as we think about what is the writer of the book of Jonah here trying to tell us through just some of these very small details here about what God actually does. It's all about God's sovereignty through these little details here in Jonah. Let me just step you through it again. Back in chapter 1, God hurls a storm upon the sea where Jonah is. God does that. God calms the sea when Jonah is thrown in. God does that. God sends a whale along to swallow Jonah whole. God does that. God speaks to the whale, as we're told there, or directs the whale to spit Jonah out onto the beach. God does that. God appoints a plant to grow gangbusters in a day to cover the shelter. God does that. 
God appoints a grub now to worm its way across and to eat at this plant to kill it. God does that. God appoints a hot easterly wind that day to ramp up the heat. God does that. What's the writer trying to tell us and show us here? God controls everything. God is totally sovereign. And he uses whatever means he wants to carry out his purposes. Nothing happens by chance in this world. Nothing happens by chance. God does it. Back to Jonah. In verse 8, Jonah resumes his position here looking out in Nineveh, but as the vine has withered and he's now suffering heat stroke, it says there in, in his faint from these blistering hot winds and blazing sun. And Jonah says this towards the end of verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He was happy the couple of verses earlier because the plant was there, but now he wants to die. This is all too much, Lord. This is too much. Take me out. Kill me now. That's what he's saying there. You gave me the plant to comfort me and now you've taken it away. Just end it all now, Lord. I can't take any more of this. It's over. God's amazingly patient with Jonah and he responds here in verse 9 with this. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? That probing question again. And he said, yes, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, God is trying to get Jonah here to see his attitude. Jonah, just think about it again. How are you reacting here? Is this right, Jonah? Is this right what you're doing? Oh, Jonah thinks, yes, it is right. He's fully justified in being angry. Fully justified. So angry, angry enough to die. I'm right in this. Let's just stop and have a little bit of a snapshot here at Jonah and see where he's at. Who is Jonah? Jonah's a very self-absorbed, self-centred, emotionally controlled and cold-hearted individual who's all about Jonah first, Jonah last and Jonah in the middle. It's all about Jonah. It's all about what makes Jonah happy and Jonah comfortable. And he's not really concerned about anybody else. It's about Jonah. Jonah's a racist as well. He doesn't want the people of Nineveh because they're another nationality from them. He doesn't want them to know God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion. He's a racist. He's only concerned about the Jews and himself. Jonah has no compassion for others and the plight that they're in. He sits under his shelter there just hoping God will smash that place. He's got no compassion for them. Jonah's happy rather to see judgment than grace. That's where Jonah's at. Jonah's not happy about the way God's running the world. He's not happy about that either. And who God shows his grace and compassion towards. He's very unhappy about that. God, if you're going to run the world like this, if this is the people you're going to give your grace and compassion to, I don't want to be in this world. That's the picture we see here of Jonah in all his reactions. What does God do? God's very patient with Jonah. And as it were, he holds up this mirror for Jonah to sort of see himself with this mirror. And he says this in verse 10 as he holds up this mirror. And the Lord said to Jonah, 
You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You feel sad for the plant, Jonah. You pity the plant. But think about it, Jonah. You didn't make it. You didn't look after it. And you hardly even knew it. Not that you actually spoke to it. I hope you didn't talk to it. But it was only there for such a short period of time. And you have all this pity for the plant. Jonah, this pity you've got is actually self-pity. It's self-pity. It's all about your self-comfort, Jonah. You're not thinking about others. You're not thinking about me, says the Lord. It's all about yourself. It's about what made you comfortable. This is all, this is, is all centred upon you. This plant gave you comfort and now it's gone. You're down and out. My comfort's been taken away from me. It's amazing how this type of self-centeredness is really much like a dominant attitude we experience here in our Western culture. Even though Jonah is in the Middle Eastern uh, zone, he's actually reflecting here a Western culture, which is a culture where we live surrounding us thinking that we are the centre of our world, that it's all about my comfort. It's all about me and what makes me happy. Jonah's reflecting that there. We see it again today in our world with perhaps gender identity theory and our sexualisation of our culture. That if we're told, you just do what's best for you, what makes you happy, what makes you comfortable. You just do you. You be happy, you be comfortable. And don't think about what anybody else might say that could be different or of a different opinion. It reflects again this self-centeredness we breed here in Western culture. That's what Jonah's suffering from. It's all about him. What God is showing Jonah here, that he's lost sight of the grace and the mercy that God has actually shown Jonah. Not once, not twice, but countless times. Jonah's lost sight of all of the sins that he has been forgiven for by God. He's lost sight of that. He's not thinking about that. He's lost sight of his everyday need for mercy and compassion and grace from God's steadfast love. He's lost sight of that as well. It's all about him. And when we lose sight of those things, so easily can we withhold that from others. Because we've lost sight of what we've received. So we just don't give that to others. What's Jonah want? He just wants Nineveh to crash and burn. That's all he's interested in. God continues here with this dialogue though. He asks that question. Sorry, he says that about the plan. And then he goes on in verse 11 and says, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Think about it, Jonah, God's saying. Think about it. You pity this insignificant plant in comparison to people that are made in my image and 120,000 of them. Shouldn't I pity these precious lives whom I value? You see what God's trying to show Jonah here? Aren't they, these people, aren't they of more value than a plant? Now, we want plants, that's all good, but surely human life, eternal beings, made of them, surely they're more valuable than a plant. Yet, Jonah, you choose the plant over the people. Think about it, Jonah. Think about what's happening here. Now, 
the way the story goes, we're left hanging on Jonah's response there, aren't we? What's he going to say? God's asked a question. Like, how's he going to respond to God now as God puts that question up? Shouldn't I pity them? Shouldn't I? But the question's not answered there, is it? And I think that's on purpose. I think the way Jonah's written, we are meant to answer that question as we read through that. An answer is meant to come from us as we hear what God says. Well, what is the answer to God's question there? It says, shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. You should. You should be merciful to Nineveh, God, because they have repented. They've turned. They've, they're crying out for mercy. And that's who you are, God. And Jonah well knows that. And Jonah, you've actually experienced that same mercy from God yourself. You should say yes, Jonah. But the question's asked to us. Is that your answer? Can you feel the word yes as it were forming in your mind or at the back of your throat like you want to answer that and say, yes, I should. I should pity them. But if we just stop there a moment, if we're really, really honest, there's actually a little bit of Jonah in all of us. There's a bit of Jonah in all of us. We can easily slip down that pathway of being prejudiced, withholding mercy, withholding compassion. God, I don't really care too much about my neighbours over my fence. They're just a piece of work and I can't stand them. So I don't really care too much about reaching out to those neighbours of mine. Just leave them alone. Jesus... Those people over there, they dress differently to me. Some of them wear turbans on their head and some of these people, I can barely even see them. They're so covered up. I'm just not going to go near those people. Someone else maybe Jesus, but not me. Jesus, it feels like some of these people, they're invading our country. They are taking all of our jobs. They're actually setting up businesses and they're just taking over the country. Uh Uh-uh, I don't feel any compassion for them, Jesus. I think sometimes, if we're honest, there's a bit of Jonah in all of us. It may not be that. It could be just we like to grade people. And what I mean by grading people is this. I'll hang out with these type of people, but those ones over there, I'm not going to hang out with them. They're not my people. They're not my style. They're not my class. I'm sort of above them. Not you, but I'm going to hang out with you. We can, we can actually grade people. We can get prejudiced there. That's a bit of Jonah, as it were, coming through us. You see, if we answer yes, well, this really means something, doesn't it? Really means something. God has demonstrated himself right through the book of Jonah here as a God of compassion and a God of mercy. To the sailors in chapter 1, they were saved and rescued from that storm and they made vows and sacrifices to the Lord. Jonah in chapter 2, he was saved from the bottom of the ocean. Grace and compassion again. The people of Nineveh in chapter 3, they're receiving God's grace and compassion. God's revealing himself right through this book here as a God of grace and compassion. It's all been about grace in hard places here through Jonah. God rescues, God saves. God redeems and God restores those who cannot save themselves. That's been demonstrated every chapter through Jonah. So if we answer yes then God is calling us to now live out what we've received, 
the mercy and grace and compassion that he's shown us. What does that mean? It means this. It means racism is an ugly, ugly sin. Racism should not be a part anywhere near a person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. We're not to be racist. We're to embrace and love all people regardless of the colour of their skin or their nationality or ethnicity. The doors of our homes, the doors of our churches should be open to all people to welcome them, to love them with compassion and mercy and grace. Who are they? They're people made in the image of God. They're people who need to know about Jesus. The people need to be rescued. Racism is ugly. As a gospel community, we have an enormous opportunity to display God's love and compassion to all people of every colour, every nationality. And we should make ourselves available to that. Knowing and experiencing God's amazing mercy and compassion that he's poured upon us, that love should now want to flow out of us towards others with the renewed heart and a renewed mind. As God's spirit transforms us with that renewed mind, it should give us a new set of eyes. We look at people differently now. They're not them and them and them and them. They're actually all people who are made in God's image. And that should change the way we think. You see, this last question here, I believe the Holy Spirit has left us to answer it, to answer this question. And with that answer, we must move forward into hard places. Because sometimes it's really hard to show compassion and mercy. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. That would be a really, really hard place to do that. He called Jonah to go there to ultimately point them to God. See, compassion and mercy starts with me. Starts with you. Not that person over there or that person over there actually... It starts with me and it starts with you. It starts with the people that we are in contact with, those who are nearest to us, for us to show mercy and compassion towards them. It starts by us actually opening up our eyes to the needs of those who are around us, feeling their difficulty, feeling their need, entering into, as it were, their challenge, their drama, not turning a blind eye to it. We are good at doing that in Western culture. Not so much everybody, but generally we're good at turning a blind eye. If I don't see it, it won't affect me. It's not what God calls us to do, to open our eyes up and to embrace what we see around about us. And that means then going out of my way to show that mercy and compassion and to meet the needs of others. And what is that? That's the love of Christ flowing out of us through the renewed heart he's given to us. And when we do that, in hard places, what does that do? It makes Jesus look glorious. The people see, what are you doing this for? Why are you connecting with me? Why are you helping me? Ultimately, we want to get to the point, we're doing this because Christ has changed my heart and I want to love you with the love of Christ. What it is, it's gospel love that has arms and legs just like the Good Samaritan. Compassion on that man who was uh, mugged by those robbers. And that's the same compassion that God wants to work in us, demonstrated through the book of Jonah. And here's the blessing. As we serve others, the blessing, as it were, rebounds back to us. 
It's more blessed to give than what it is to receive. It may appear hard and it will be hard, but as you engage in that, God blesses us through that service of compassion and need. That's a real blessing. Let's pray. Fathers, we uh, come now and we wrap up this book of Jonah. We thank you, God, for this glorious picture of who you are. So, so, so patient with Jonah. God, you could, could have just written him off right back in chapter 1. You're the God of patience. Maybe today, Lord, there are some here thinking, I'm just like Jonah. God should have written me off years ago. But he just shows us again, he's a very, very patient God. Not only that, he's a God filled with compassion and mercy. God, please help us to see that today. Help us to see what Jonah failed to see. You're using this today to help us to see that. That we are recipients of your grace and mercy every day. And I pray, work that deep in our hearts, Holy Spirit. And may that, through a renewed heart, help us to throw off the shackles, to break off those chains that stop us from giving ourselves away and showing mercy and compassion to other people. May we be that way. And may that be, Lord, something distinctive about the people of Exchange Church. Gospel love that goes out of our way to show their compassion and mercy. And it starts, Lord, with the people over our fence or the people we are nearest in connection with. Help us not to turn a blind eye to them. Help us to see what's happening in their life and to enter in. And we pray, God, that you would use that ultimately to draw people to Christ so they too would experience the ultimate in mercy and compassion through Jesus. Help us, we pray, Holy Spirit, in that. And we ask that in your precious name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.